Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as per usual by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, these guys, am I right? I mean, they're at odds. It's like they have these different personalities and different characters, and, you know, one always wants to be the boss and say what's right, and the other one's like, hey, I'm just a big dummy, or hey, I'm not going to listen, and wait. Hey, what's the matter you? What's hey? the matter you? Um, they do debate the top four or mo- most ubiquitous... They do debate the most ubiquitous elements of any given topic, and they'll do that this episode when our topic is the Mount Rushmore of the smart sensible character in a story. This was my topic, and somebody asked me why I chose it. Why'd you do hey, why'd that? You why'd you do why, that? Why would you do that? Hey, Jeff, why'd you do that? Oh, that's good. That's good. That seemed realistic. Yeah, why would you do that? Why would you do that, Jeff? Well, I love this character in any given story because they are often the person who explains the world to the audience. They create the structure for the audience to experience the story, and I think... I, in my life, aspire to be a smart, sensible one, but I never am. I'm usually the doofus who (laughs) sends things careening in the wrong direction. But I love these characters as they are portrayed in film and television and and any kind of fiction or narrative, and I just want to talk about it. Um, I am fascinated about how they can sometimes be actually smart and sensible or just perceive themselves to be. The first example of this I remember as a child uh, might be um, Mo from the Three Stooges. <laughs> so what here, do you know? Here's a guy who perceived himself to be the smart, sensible one. Right. The, the show wasn't called Two Stooges. Two Stooges. It was called Three Stooges. <laughs> it's a bunch of idiots led by this self-elected moron who's the king of these idiots. Right. And then is always getting them to, into a situation such as some kind of tenuous employment as bakers or. Uh, Tire, you know, or a grift gone gone bad. A grift gone bad. You feel bad. like Mo is the only one that can fully sign his name to documents. Yeah. So that's how they. That's <laughs> that's how they. That, that's what he they get offers. Doing. But secretly, Larry is the only sensible one because he's the one who's usually, "Hey, Mo, I don't think this is such a yeah, good idea." Yeah, yeah. Shut up, you knucklehead. <laughs> but Mo perceives himself to be giving themselves the structure, the opportunity, and the wherewithal to gain an income when they really should just sit around and collect unemployment insurance because they're just getting in trouble. Um, so this is, I just love this category. So is there anyone who wants to go first? Wait, the one who can dodge these two fingers coming right at you. Oh, Richard dodged it. Oh, Michael, you go first. Uh, my first character. I seems to find that. I seems to find, Popeye says. It seems says. to be the things that are the way that is. <laughs> that sounded very Cosby-like. This and is like a hast thou slain the, the Jabberwock. <laughs> the lead character seems to be rarely the sensible one or the okay. logical one. Yeah. Or the the lead character has to be passionate yeah. and go off and someone has to ring him in. Yes, because there's nothing sensible about heroism or well, I have I have one that's that that is not that. But okay. I, I agree okay. with you most of the time. Uh everybody welcome to the episode with point stepper honor, Richard Manfredi. <laughs> so I'm the sensible and logical point Jiminy stepper. Cricket. Oh cool. What? From Oh, okay. Ah, Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Sorry, I said what? Like it was. I didn't know who Jiminy Cricket was. That's <laughs> that's weird. Jiminy Cricket from 
My dad used to sing that all. Uh, I like that every third podcast is like, my dad used to do this. My dad my would dad. do that. Uh, Pinocchio's conscience is kind of adopted in this character of Jiminy Cricket, who just kind of, in the Disney animated version of the 1800 story, he's, uh, you know, an anthropomorphic cricket that kind of wanders in and is kind of appointed to his, to be his conscience by the blue fairy. In the original version, uh, Pinocchio, like, kills him with a mallet. Oh, is that right? Really kind of depressing. Is but then cricket- every, every original story is, like, brothel. Brutal. All those fables, there's so much yeah. death and gore. And- but um, Jiminy Cricket kind of is, like, this guy that he just offers the best advice, which is just kind of listen to yourself yeah. and says... Uh, you know, his catchphrase is, let your conscience be your guide. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if even Pinocchio listened to him one time, he wouldn't have been abducted by Stromboli or mm-hmm. kidnapped by Honest John. And that that whole bit is like, all you had to do was listen to the goddamn cricket. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of gets angry at Pinocchio for this initially, but he kind of comes around mm-hmm. on his own. Yeah. And, there's a friendship that's built. He's kind of offered a way out of the story himself, but he sticks by him, and Pinocchio learns to trust him. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, he's like the sidekick that is there. You you should have listened to the mm-hmm. entire time, but then eh, you're always going to yeah. get into trouble. You know what's fascinating is this example right off the bat of s- s- smart, sensible one as surrogate parent. And Disney has this habit of killing off or dis- leaving parents otherwise predisposed not to be around to give any guidance to the protagonist throughout the film. Disney and parents don't mix. So that is fascinating to me, because ultimately, even Geppetto is not, I guess, his parents. He's an awful dad. (laughs) Like, the very first day, like, you know, six hours after this guy, this wooden puppet comes to life, Mm -hmm. go to school by yourself, I assume you'll find the way. Yeah. Here you go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's he not a helicopter mom. That should have sure. been put in a home. <laughs> for a few uh, okay, cool. Uh, comes out um, strong with Pinocchio. Richard, what do you got? Um, so the first person I thought of, or maybe not even person, that I thought of when uh, half person, half human, half Vulcan. Kevin James? Oh. Yes. Oh. No. Spock. Leonard T. Spock. Also on my list. Okay, good. Did you know his uh, full name? Leonard T. Spock. Edward James Almost Spock. (laughs) Not many people know that. (laughs) What What a bizarre poll. You're even blending (laughs) Battlestar Galactica and Blade Runner. I was looking in a lot of different websites at the same time, so Uh I don't know what. I don't know. Oh, okay. Jimmy Smith's Spock is his name. Space Space Jimmy Spock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Perhaps the most logical character Mm -hmm. in all of. All of television, yes. slash film, slash yes. science fiction in general. Mm-hmm. His whole role within the Star Trek universe mm-hmm. is to be the the lukewarm uh, water, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. between the hot and cold of Bones and James T. Kirk. Yeah. Even though they're both pretty emotional. Like, Bones is emotional in a different way, but Bones can also be very logical. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like this weird mixture of the two of them, but Kirk obviously is all kind of hot-blooded male Canadian emotion. <laughs> and uh, so Spock kind of has to be the uh, the balancing force a lot of the time. Cold calculating. Cold calculating. Of course, he is not fully Vulcan. He is only half Vulcan. Of course, his mom, a human school teacher, 
And I, I do, do they establish how they met? So I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Romulan ale was flowing <laughs> that night. Romulan tender. <laughs> uh, I what what I is fascinating about the Vulcan race. I love that they had they reached a point where they were just too passionate. They were too emotional, and they had to purge themselves with like they they got to a point where like man, we can't we can't go on doing this. Yeah, we we gotta. We got to knock some sense into ourselves, and they have the uh, the Kali Nar um, ritual, which is different from the Kali Ma ritual, where they pull out your heart <laughs> and show it to fr- in front of you when, you're, when, it, when it burns. In which your is head. different than the Kalimari appetizer ritual, which is <laughs> like you don't have that much money for dinner, but you want to impress your date. <laughs> I, I just love the idea that, that they kind of go through like this whole process to burn out. Yeah. Everything else except making the right decision or the mm-hmm. logical decision or the most sensible decision. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating way to create a character other than to say, like, oh, he's just a robot. Mm-hmm. And it's a f- uh, getting to the showing the hand of the creators. All of these stories were created by someone or a group of people. If you want to have a series that has a swashbuckling, swag- swaggering Canadian. Uh, embodied by um, William Shatner playing James T. Kirk, and you want that person to be sexy and adventuresome, you have to have a counter to that person and somebody who reminds the audience as this team goes out and does these crazy things that what that person is doing isn't logical or sensible, and he seems to fulfill that role. Especially in the the classic version of, of Spock, when you get to the, the, the reboot. Yeah. They seem to be emphasizing the half human part of him. Yeah, I think as much as the right the, the half Vulcan, mm-hmm. you know, logical side of him. Yeah, they got a directive. It's like we got to play up this angst within him. Right. We got to really play against his duality. When the the original version was more like, oh no, he's fine. He's yeah, he's fine. Who he is. I mean, he occasionally has these conflicts where his damned human emotions compete with his damned Vulcan logic. That was one thing that I uh, I didn't remember about. I don't think I've seen Star Trek, the motion picture. I've seen all, like all the other ones. I never saw yeah. the first one. I okay. think I saw bits and pieces of it. So reading about this, it was interesting that like uh, Spock in the very first movie went back to Vulcan to kind of repurge himself yeah. of like all the little hints of emotion that kind of popped up through like the, uh, the television series. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's when they discovered Voyager or whatever it's called. V'ger, yeah. V'ger. Uh-huh. Um, and so I don't think he ever actually repurges himself of logic. Oh, wow. So I wonder, you know, like his biggest moment or the biggest line in all of Star Trek is like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, mm-hmm. you know, from uh, Wrath of Khan? Wrath of Khan. And that was made by someone who wasn't the most necessarily, I guess he was probably the most logical person, but he didn't seem to have purged all of that stuff yeah. out of him, unless yeah. I forgot a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that even though that he was on this quest initially to become ultra logical, yeah. you know, there's still something in him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, cool. So, um, Richard, which is your second choice? Be logical and sensible now. Good old Grimey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Frank Grimes. Okay. From The Simpsons. From The Simpsons, yeah. From, oh. from the episode Homer's Enemy. Oh, oh, fun. What a fantastic choice. I realized we hadn't talked about The Simpsons in like two or three episodes. No, that's good. So it was time to, time yeah. to get back on, yeah. that, that, uh, on that bicycle. No, th- 
this is essentially a character who sees through everything that Homer is, which is essentially vastly incompetent and dangerous to himself and everyone else around him, and is driven literally insane by the fact that he cannot believe that other people don't see this. Yes. He's base. He's basically like living Twitter right now. Yeah. Right. It's just it, it, you're pulling your hair out mm-hmm. over this madman that's the yes. president. Yes. Right. He was injured in a silo accident, <laughs> um, so he wasn't able to go to school, and he has, he has this like really hard luck kind of life. But pulls himself together. To, he's like 35 and works his way to get a master's degree in in you know nuclear physics, and finally gets a job at the power plant. Yeah. And there he is next to good old Homer Simpson, mm-hmm. sitting there getting ready to drink like a beaker full of acid. Yeah. Until <laughs> until Grimes like knocks it away from him and it burns a hole in the wall and then Grimes gets in trouble. Yeah. Because he's the one who knocked the uh, acid into the for, wall. For wasting acid. For wasting it, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, lo- I, lo- I love that as well, that the nuclear power plant and the people that run it are just as culpable as stu- as Homer is stupid. Yeah. Yeah, because the the... They don't see it. It wasn't this episode, but it's one of the episodes where they mention Homer to uh, Mr. Burns and uh, uh, Wayland Smithers is like, you know, he's the one who uh, cost you your run for Senate or for governor. Almost burned the plant down and just the whole list of don't things. Don't remember him. Yeah, I don't remember him. Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> um, that was a Mr. Burns get shot episode. Was that what it was? Yeah, because that's okay. what drives Homer crazy. That, that the, gives him the motivation to that you think to. Uh, kill him mm-hmm. is because he wants him to remember Mr. Burns. So sort oh. of an sort of an interesting parallel then with uh, with with Grimy, the nickname that that Homer gives him that he thinks Frank Grimes loves, in fact, actually loathes. Um, decides to try and smooth things over by inviting him to his house for dinner, but they try to make it too nice, mm-hmm. so they wind up serving like lobs, all this insane amount of lobster, and all the kids are like super nice, and that just serves to drive. Grimes even more insane uh, because how does Homer Simpson, this bumbling incompetent, mm-hmm. have this mansion and he can afford two cars and I live between two bowling alleys yeah. <laughs> and he's got a beautiful wife and these two great kids and blah, blah, blah. he's eating lobster every yeah, day. Yeah. How, how is this possible? Yeah. And this just builds on and on until he gets, he snaps. Mm-hmm. He just snaps after, after Homer wins a, uh, Designed the nuclear power plant contest that was designed for kids, uh-huh. <laughs> and goes amuck through the uh, through the uh, the power plant, doing things like, "Look, I'm Homer Simpson. I don't need to wash my hands after I go to the bathroom. Why would anyone care? I'm Homer Simpson. Yeah, I'm Homer Simpson. Look, this says dangerous, high voltage. I don't need to use gloves. Bzz. Next scene, Grimes's funeral. Yeah, um, and this is a very. I know this is a very controversial episode among the Simpsons universe. Yeah. Some people really love it. I know some of the writers think it's one of their best episodes they ever did. I tend to fall on that category Mm -hmm. as well. I know there's a parallel view that says this is when Homer started to become truly like the bumbling idiot. The completely lobotomized moron. Right. But I think that it was done on purpose for this episode, at least like you really had to show, you almost had to like show a funhouse version of Homer. Yeah. Like how someone else coming into it, like a normal quote unquote person, mm-hmm. would look at Homer and just everything that's insane that happens to him that he goes through, yeah, and how it would just drive you absolutely mental, yeah, yeah. That is a. It almost feels like when the Simpsons did a 
3D CG episode, right? Where you're bringing a dose of dimension to it and perspective. Uh, in that Homer's surrounded by people almost as dumb as he is, <laughs> right? Um, that uh, one thing that I think the smart, sensible character has less a dose of than the hero is often just humanity, whether it's for better or for worse. Right. They have less an amount of that, and that makes them not the hero. Or the, of the main character of the story. Or patience. Or patience. <laughs> yeah. Any yeah. sort of patience. Usually that's something you see a lot of the time with these logical or sensible characters. Just how yeah. they can't believe they're stuck in this situation with these idiots and they mm-hmm. have to be the grown up in the room. Yeah. And this is just sort of that, I think, that thing taken to the nth degree. I think that, too, I think that Homer just has a bulletproofness about him that uh, Grimes, uh, I'm sorry. Grimy, as he prefers to be called. Please. Um, like, I like that when he tries to emulate that, that is his ultimate downfall. Yeah. He survives so much worse, you know, his background, as you said. But then as soon as he tries to be anything like Homer Simpson and not like him, yeah. that's that was the end of it. Yeah. The, the smart, sensible one, you said, is um, stuck in the room. I forget what you said. but. What, what he's I stuck, he's just sort of stuck yeah. there with all the, the idiots around yeah. him, and he has, he has to be the grown up. That's what I think is funny about that is um, the reality is you're not stuck. These characters could walk through the door of the set <laughs> to Everybody Loves Raymond or whatever uh, and walk out the door. And they are often trapped in the construct of an institution like a power plant or a family, um, like family sitcoms are. Um, but I think they're often codependent on their incompetent, <laughs> more human people around them. And they need those people to feel uh, necessary in the world and feel wanted and to have somebody to look down on. So I think that's a funny aspect of it. So that brings us to our halftime. And uh, my name is Jeff, and I do the show uh, called the Mount Rushmore Podcast. And some of my guests this week are Michael Winfield. And Richard Manfredi, um, this is a podcast that I started because I thought it was a smart, sensible thing to do. And these guys get on and they just kind of goof off the most of the time. And I try to bring it back, steer it towards something positive. So, uh, we like to help... writing history <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> I know. Just, just for the record. Good old hoppy over here. Good old hoppy. Uh, we are at halftime and we would like you to learn about all our friends out in the podcast universe. And some of those friends is this podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Jim Hankey and I'm the host of Vinyl Emergency, a podcast where musicians, producers, comedians, and those who dream up, press, release, or collect vinyl records discuss their relationship with the medium today as well as in their formative youth. Artwork that has stood the test of time, neighborhood record stores we remember, the first albums we ever bought, vinyl's warmth and sound, the tangible object of a vinyl record can bring forth so many intangible memories, and that's what we try to capture on the show. Guests have included Roseanne Cash, Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Brian Stack from Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Ted Leo, Lily Hyatt, and Dave Porter of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. We've been known to do an episode or two in front of a live audience as well, and we also talk to everyday record collectors about what drives their passion. We even have episodes dedicated to the processes of mastering for vinyl, properly cleaning your records, the feeling of standing in line for hours on record store day, and much more. Tune into Vinyl Emergency however you get your podcasts. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vinyl Emergency, or stop by our website, vinylemergency.com. 
And I'm back. Uh, don't you love that podcast you just heard that promo for? I know I do. But I want you more than anything, stop listening to that other podcast. Listen to our podcast. Download, rate, and review all the past episodes of the Mount Rushmore podcast. They're available on iTunes, on Stitcher. And you can jump in there and just, you know what? Stars are good. Uh, as a kid, I never got enough gold stars, the sticker type ones. And but you can rectify that by giving me a bunch of gold stars and Richard and Michael uh, give us those stars, but also let us know what you think by writing a review. And you can also let us know by getting the dialogue on the Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram and give us suggestions for future episodes. Maybe it's an episode that you would like to be a guest on. We would love that. And we are back. Michael, what is your third? Uh, I know that we talked about Spock being, you know, this... Highly logical captain. Hi, yes, this highly logical person that's not, you know, that works because he's not a robot. Yeah. We're going to talk about a robot, and that oh, is uh, Theodore 3PO, <laughs> the third. I don't know. James Almost. I love it. James Almost. Thank you for bringing that back. Uh, C3PO. What I love about him is how almost his default setting is cowardice. Yeah. <laughs> but, all, but in a logical sense. Okay. Um. When we're first introduced to him, he's just kind of like this kind of butler, manservant yeah. sort of deal. But as like through the first three movies, it, you know, the original trilogy, you kind of get more of a personality of this robot that he just wants to get by. It doesn't like yeah. he's not in the rebellion for anybody. You know, yeah. Han Solo's wasn't in the rebellion for he was in it for the money. Three uh-huh. uh, PO doesn't care who his master is. He's just like, uh, we can surrender. And that is totally fine. Yeah. It's acceptable. Yeah. And in extreme situations, let's just give it up. And I could get a job working for the for the on the Death Star somewhere. <laughs> That's they fine. need yeah. translators. So. <laughs> That's right. He know I think he understands his place in the universe as mm-hmm. a commodity. Yeah. So flying through an asteroid field where the odds of surviving are three thousand seven hundred and twenty to one. Way too yeah. much for him, who's just like, look, just turn around, fly back, and I, I can be on that Death Star, hanging out and just translating for anyone. Yeah. So you would argue he's the sensible one and not R two D two. No, R two's definitely the hero. He definitely goes out of his way to help people more often than three PO does. Yeah. I mean, when R two is playing uh, Chewbacca at their little space chess game. Mm-hmm. Sensibly, he says, "Well, let the Wookiee win, because you know he's going to pull your arms out yeah. if he doesn't." Yeah. So, of course, just just give up. Mm-hmm. Just, it's fine. Yeah. You're going to be okay. You're you're going to have two arms. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the what's, what's the difference if you win or lose a game of space chess? That's right. Yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite picks because uh, it, d- it does seem like he is the voice of doom and gloom, uh-huh. and he R two is emotional. R2 will kind of show sadness and uh, loneliness and, and quirkiness and things like that. Uh, um, but um, it's there's a reason why C-3PO is wearing gold lame through the whole movie, because he's just this diva <laughs> guy who just minces and, pr- and princes throughout the whole thing. Minces and princes. Oh, my. I think I saw, I think I saw that, uh, that uh, stage show yeah. one time in uh, yeah. Hamburger Mary's here in yeah. West Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, Kelsey Grammer is uh, starring in Minces and Princes mm-hmm. down on, on Broadway right now. I believe he is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Kelsey Grammer, 
Do either of you have that as a pick? Am I blowing No, the... I don't. I thought you were going to say, speaking of Kelsey Grammer, have you seen him in Candide? Yeah. L.A. Opera, which, my, which Vivian actually saw yesterday. Oh, she did? Yeah, it's very, good apparently very good. So, pro tip. Can- Candide. Go see Candide. Candide, and then semicolon, Minces and Princess. Minces and <laughs> yes. Princess. That, uh, when I think of Frasier, isn't isn't sensible or logical. He is a man that is consumed yeah. by passion. When he was on Cheers, he was sensible and logical. No, he wasn't. Wasn't he? I no, I don't know. He Didn't thought he... he was he was one of those characters who thought he was sensible and logical. Yes. He was definitely more intelligent from a bookish standpoint than pretty much anyone there. But he was also very capable of flying off the handle and going off the rails if he got upset or flustered about okay. something. Certainly Lilith. Would fluster him. Okay. Well, would be more sensible, sensible oh, and logical. That's true. Yeah. Richard, what's your third? Okay. So you mentioned that these characters are frequently not heroes. Allow me to give you one example of a extremely heroic, sensible slash logical character. And sensible and logical to the point that everyone around him kind of hates him. That would be police chief inspector Nicholas Nick Angel from the uh, film Hot Fuzz. Oh, fun. Okay. Uh, played by... Uh, Simon Pegg. What's his What's his face? The guy with the face. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the three Cornettos trilogy. The yes. middle one that is essentially Bad Boys Two, but rewritten to make the <laughs> love story between the two uh, cops much more obvious. Um, and his whole backstory is essentially he is the best in his class. He is the best cop in the metropolitan London police force. Um, to the point where he's embarrassing the rest of the uh, police force. Yeah. So they decide to send him off to uh, some town in the middle of nowhere where he won't embarrass them anymore. And then gets to this town and is just amazed with how backwater and how lax they are to actually going by the rules and following what they should be doing as cops. Yeah, yeah. He's like the Frank Grimes of... He, Police cops. He is pretty much, and Danny Danny Butterman would be his uh, his Homer, I guess. At first, the difference being that eventually they do they do kind of learn from each other, and Nick Angel learns that sometimes you got to break the rules in order to restore the rules, so to speak. Jump in the air and go ah, and shoot your guns while yeah. you're while you're doing <laughs> spins and stuff like that. Um, it's it's a it's one of my favorite characters in any of the three Cornettos movies. It's Pretty amazing that Simon Pegg is able to play a fairly credible action star. Like you kind of, yeah, like you don't, you wouldn't look at the guy from Shaun of the Dead and say, "Yeah, I can buy him as like a badass super cop." Mm-hmm. But he's able to make it work within yeah. the context of this film. I think partially because he's supposed to be so ridiculous and so much of a super cop that it's almost like if it would have been like, you know. Fill in your act, you know, typical action. If it would have been yeah. The Rock, yeah, it would have been ridiculous. It would have just seemed like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know what I like about The Rock is I just saw a trailer <laughs> for what's a, not to like about yeah, that big hunk of man. Uh, a trailer for a movie called like The Tower or something uh-huh. skyscraper skyscraper. Yeah, uh, where they had to. They had the rock is so built as a person that he punches the skyscraper and falls, <laughs> falls down. That they had to chop off like digitally one of his legs and give him like uh skinnier legs. No, no, they had to like give him like an amputated like lower left leg. Oh, okay. On like and like that's his like sure. The guy is you know, six foot five and two ninety two. 
but he's got this like wonky oh, leg. Yeah. Mm. It takes him down, makes him more relatable, mm-hmm. gives him a little bit of weakness going yeah. in. Yeah. The guy with a disability trying to make it in life. How dare he? Yeah. Okay. But I, but, but anyway, Nick Angel. Yeah. And no, just thanks for that. Uh, Mr. Digression of this episode. Yeah, I started thinking about The Rock, you know? What That's are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think I chose this character because it is that example of sometimes the sensible and logical character can still be a real pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not necessarily, even if they're saying the right thing and they're saying it for the right reasons, oftentimes the way they say it and the way they go about it can be so annoying and so on the nose and by the book and this is how we should be doing it, that even if they're correct, they don't come off as the type of person you want to mm. have to be your leader. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what you find with Nick Angel at the beginning of the film, and he kind of has to learn, okay, if he's going to lead the rest of the police force, he kind of has to be able to relate to them. So he has to find a way to, I guess, come down to their level in a sense in order to bring them up in the process. And I think it's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating look at sort of like how these sort of characters can be perceived by the rest of the world. Yeah. That is a, buddy cop film trope is the disparity between these characters. There's usually old and young. Right. Old is often the person who's more knowledgeable about procedure it's or more Danny conservative. Glo- it's yeah. the Danny Glover. Yeah. Who's officially too old for this show. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the young hotshot, you know, kind of... Loose cannon. You know, loose cannon. In yeah. this case, instead of loose cannon, it's just sloppy, bored, yeah. terrible cop. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, what do you got, Michael? Uh, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you want to play a game? <laughs> That's right. It's Joshua, also oh. known as Whopper. Uh, whoa. From the 1980s movie War Games. Wow. Um, Whopper stands for War Operation Plan Response, but ah, what a terrible acronym. Uh, Whopper is the name of the, like, program the system that's mm-hmm. built by the u.s government yeah that's housed at norad in yeah. cheyenne montana that kind of helps decide when or not to launch a global wow. thermonuclear this is war like, you you're going back to right the first time i got cable television this movie was on <laughs> oh, i think this one on hbo like every half hour yeah so they would actually somehow it would be playing while it was also playing it was playing it was like like around like it's the small world song yeah i i think when it came down to it for this for this category or for this for this topic it came down to what is the most logical thing and it just was this the statement at the end of the movie where he says the only the only option is not to play not to play yeah and that was just like this profound thing that said in this mm-hmm. dumb robot voice and it says how about a nice game of chess yeah going back to chess they th- talk about 3PO and R2 and the yeah. wookie yeah. is that like all of these mechanisms of trying to blow each other up come down mm-hmm. to there is no we're just going to kill each other. So yeah. what, what are all, what are all these weapons for? And uh, I don't know if there's anyone that's listening to this that hasn't seen this movie, but it's just a, it's just a great little thriller. Yeah. Uh, you know, featuring teenagers and oh yeah, great teenage. Uh, you know Matthew Broderick and yeah, Ali Sheedy is. Uh, I think so. Who's the yeah. girl? Who's the girl? Ali Sheedy, maybe. Yeah, it's Ali Sheedy. Um, and it's just like you know this this kid that gets kind of just dragged into mm-hmm. 
these weird situations. I love how he kind of was just smarter than everyone. Yeah. And got, he, the kid himself got himself out of these situations. But, you know, the robot itself, the machine, had such a personality that, yeah. that I thought was just delightful. The, you brought up two things that I think are compelling about this character. One is that they can be often um, the villain. And Whopper was the problem. Mm-hmm. But so ultimately, he was the thing that they're trying to defeat. Um, although Professor Falcon, when he arrives, you think he has some kind of villainy type um, uh, remove. Yeah, you're not, you're not sure what his motivations are. Yeah. And then you kind of realize that he's just kind of this broken person. Yeah. But it's interesting because I, I think there's a moment when he doesn't know how to solve the problem. But then I think for a second he actually does, mm-hmm. but he lets Matthew Broderick figure it yeah. out. Yeah. And like, uh, he like suggests that they play tic tac toe mm-hmm. and has him play against himself. And like, he, like, you can see like that kind of that spark go on right bef- as Broderick. Yeah. Uh, says it uh-huh. and it's like like two geniuses that have the idea at the same time it's yeah. just like oh this is a hundred percent he knows in his head this is gonna work mm-hmm. it's he's gonna tie up the system and all the efforts are gonna get go into playing yeah uh you know tic-tac-toe and no one's you know yeah if you played enough times you know that there's no no way to win that one yeah yeah that's that's a fun fun pull um uh richard your last and it right. will be your last what nothing on the, nothing on the, menacing yeah a little bit uh, my last one is let's see. Mickey's the fun one, the funny one of the group. Davy's the uh, the oh. charmer. <laughs> Peter's the uh, kind of naive dumb one, and then you got Mike. Of course, I'm talking about the monkeys, and I'm talking about the character of Mike, played by Mike Nesmith, um, who is I think very much seen as the smart and logical one, and usually within the construct of the TV show. Mm-hmm was whenever they needed to logically... He was the one who usually was trying to tell them to do the right, smart thing Yeah, that usually didn't wind up happening because mm-hmm. they were kind of wacky and bumbling. Mm-hmm. And I picked this because I found it fascinating the way that this sort of paralleled the way the monkeys played out yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah. That very much he was also the... While, while the characters were certainly not... They were certainly based on certain characteristics of the mm-hmm. actual yeah. actors and singers and musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say that the other ones weren't smart or logical, yeah. but he was certainly the first. He was he was the pain in the ass mm-hmm. sort of monkey. Hey, let's play our own instruments. Let's play let's our own instruments. Le- we need legit. to write our own songs. Yeah. We need to have more control over what we're yeah. what we're doing. Let's actually be a real band and have control over mm-hmm. this. Um, and Mickey Dolenz was in Circus Boy. He was in the entertainment industry. I'm an actor. We're, this is a role. Same, same yeah. thing with Davy Jones. He yeah. was uh, on Broadway the, actor. He and, was on the. Uh, he, he was in the ca- cast of Oliver that mm-hmm. was on the uh, Ed Sullivan Show the night the uh, Beatles mm-hmm. first debuted. Yeah. And Peter Tork had been a like a working musician uh-huh. in Los Angeles for several years before that. Yeah. Um, so they each. It's not that they weren't in real life capable of. In, you know, incapable of anything or not wanting to push, go in that direction. But Mike was the one who sort of really pushed in that direction and wanted to take control. Yeah. And in the TV show, he was the one who eventually usually had to take control of a out of control situation and come up with the plan or come up with the, uh, the solution to get everybody out of the jam they'd worked themselves uh-huh. into. And I don't know. I just love the monkeys. 
Yeah. I really did. I remember, you know, when they came on MTV, and that's, I think, people of our generation mm-hmm. probably first experienced the monkeys in full was when MTV started replaying the episodes back in the yeah. mid-80s, yeah. late-80s. And I don't know. There's just something about the show. I went back. There's just something about the show. I went back and started re-watching some of the episodes over the last few weeks, actually. Um, I finally stumbled on the uh, Monkeys album that came out last year called Good Times, which, by the way, I would highly recommend mm-hmm. it if you haven't uh, Oh, this is yet. the one that, yeah, it's a great album. It's like power pop kind of. Well, and, right? and it's with the, Ben Gibbard. With ben Gibbard and... wrote a song. They had like, uh-huh. all these like modern great yeah. they, uh, songwriters write songs for them. So like Noel Gallagher and Paul Weller collaborated on one. You said Ben Gibbard. Mm-hmm. uh uh, from Weezer, what's his what's his face? The guy with the face, R- Rivers, Rivers Cuomo, Cuomo. <laughs> um, well, the face guy. Yeah, well, I call him face guy. Yeah, yeah. Andy Partridge from XTC, and it's just this whole list. And they each wrote really great monkeys songs, basically, or songs that would work for the monkeys. Um, so in list, in kind of discovering this album from last year, I was then intrigued to go back and start rewatching these monkeys episodes. And they really they they do hold up well, even though it is very much a product of its era. You know, I just love this. I, the, the, there's just something about the energy that show had, and it just feels that yeah. it felt like you know you can watch these supercuts of all the times that they sort of broke the fourth wall, or sort of had these really racy in jokes mm-hmm. or like references to drug culture that they were yeah. able to s- slip in. Um, and Mike was a really great comedic mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. even though I don't think people really. Associate him with that nowadays. They associate him either with the music side of things or being the one whose mom invented liquid paper. Yeah. Right, right. Um, but they were able to give each of these characters a personality, and I think that's that's what the Mike character was. He was the uh, he was a, a little bit older than the rest of the group, which is often sometimes the case with some of these things. So he winds up almost playing like a big brother. Sort sort of rolled everyone else. That's interesting. That's not that is hasn't been something that we've really talked about yet. Is the older character knowing knowing what's going on mm-hmm. and kind of knocking ahead the heads together of like the younger knuckleheads. The, uh, it's interesting. Young, young generation. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just interesting that we've gone this far and the that, older that hasn't brother, been, the that, that hasn't been something that we've kind of touched upon yet. Where like the 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 elder statesman and really knows what's going or on. Or the dad. Yeah. Either yeah, yeah, yeah. the dad role or the big brother role or something like that. And I yeah. feel like that's what my, the Mike character yeah. in the monkeys was. Um, one of my favorite movies is a hard day's night mm-hmm. and the Beatles having worked with Richard Lester to learn improvisation and to essentially become kind of the goon show. To... Right. They, they became goons. Yeah. Basically. And uh, I feel like that's, what I loved about A Hard Day's Night, and then the Beatles got enlightened, and they listened to Bob Dylan, and they smoked weed, and they did acid, and they right. had Maharishi, and all these other things. The monkeys never did all that stuff. Well, they had head. <laughs> they had head with, yeah, crazy with Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson. Yeah, like, like stoned out to, yeah. to the gills writing whatever. And, and they, they, like the Beatles, struggled for relevance and struggled to, uh, like everyone else at that time, if you didn't evolve, you youth culture would abandon you anyhow. So you couldn't stay this bubblegum pop group and these puppets of, of the t- television machine. Right. You couldn't stay that way. But that was so fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. You understand why they had to yeah. evolve. Like yeah. They couldn't continue to be the wacky monkeys, you know, the four four guys in the, the beach house trying yeah. to make a living as musicians. Yeah. They just, that doesn't, 
But they were just so. But it was such a fun show. So like the Marx Brothers or something. Yeah, it was only, <laughs> yeah. Two, it was only two seasons. People mm-hmm. forget this. So there was only two seasons of the uh, Monkeys TV show. They got like fifty episodes out of it, or sixty, or something insane like that. Because wow. they, they shot like thirty episodes a season back uh-huh. then. But there's not a lot of Monkeys shows to go on. But yeah, it is. It's very Marx Brothers. Yeah, definitely has that element. Well, cool. This has been the Mount Rushmore of the uh, logical, sensible character in the story. This was my topic, and but Michael and Richard really took it and ran with it. Um, I'm just going to grab a few things that, that really resonated with me, and they were a fun kind of blast from the past. I originally got into um, acting and stuff like that because I wanted to be C-3PO. I didn't want to be an actor. <laughs> I wanted to be a robot. <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to choose a C-3PO, and and I'm the only cast member of Star Wars who I've met and spoken with is Anthony Daniels, and he was bitter, and he seemed like he was meant to suffer, just like C-3PO. <laughs> so it was so made to suffer. So it was fun to see how much he was, who his character was. So uh, there's a point for C-3PO. Um, there's a point for uh, Mike Nesmith from the Monkees um, because of the nostalgia there. Uh, a big, sizable point for Whopper from War Games because that was so fun. And what the fuck, Jiminy Cricket. So, Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Um, so Those this choices don't seem very logical to me. Well, very sensible. Yeah. No. If if you weren't the dumb idiot one, you would know how logical and sensible they were. Well, I don't know because I'm an idiot. Wah, wah. You're the emotional, lovable one. That's yeah, true. I'm the, I am the cute one. The cute one. Uh, this has been Mount Rushmore. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. And Michael.